Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jonah's going to jump up and explain that to us. Thanks, Nick. Well, it is good to be together with God's people, God's Word in front of us. It's going to be a good time. Let me just get sorted, sorry. All right. Well, who wants to hear a secret? Okay, that's enough. I'll take it. That's good. Here's a secret. You may not believe this, but I used to have hair. I really did. Um, Yeah, look look at that good-looking fella. Um, This is a picture uh, of me when I had hair. And just to bring you into my world, at this point in my life, um, I'd just let any old person cut my hair. Like, it's going to grow back anyway, right? I've got nothing to worry about. Wrong. (laughs) Stopped growing back properly. And so a few years later, here's my hair on the way out. There it is, thinning, but still there. Uh, At this point in my life, my hair was a pretty delicate situation. Uh, One false move, one bad snip from someone at the hairdresser, and suddenly my baldness would be uncovered for all to see. Um, I would have cut my own hair if I could have back then. Like, if it was physically possible, I would have done my own haircuts just to look after myself well. The bottom line was that my hair was becoming an endangered species, And so there was only one person I could trust to cut my hair. It wasn't like a barber. It was my mate John. Legit. I'd go to his house, we'd get a chair and put it in the backyard and I'd like sit in this chair in my mate's backyard for like an hour and he'd like carefully, painstakingly sculpt every little section of my hair to to preserve it. He'd be kind of like, now, if I cut that bit too much, people are going to see the thinness at the back of your hair, so I've got to keep that long. But also, I'm going to keep the sides nice and trim because we don't want them to stand out in contrast to the bit on the top that is going to look a bit thin. He'd be like, oh, hang on a second. If I leave that bit there, that's going to look like a comb over and people are going to see right through that. And he'd agonise over and he'd carefully cut my hair for me. He took his time. He played the long game and he did me well. And eventually one day he kind of pulled me aside and said, mate, we're going to have to call it, you're going to have to start shaving your head. And so I knew that he had my best interest in heart and I did and my hair was no more. So here's the question. Uh, What would you be willing to trust another person with? I trusted my mate John with my delicate hair. What What would you be willing to trust to another person? Imagine this, would you trust someone else to spend your money for you, as in it's for you still, but they're in charge of what you buy with your money now. You'd be like, look, I'm not good with my money, please take all my money and tell me what to buy. Who would trust a mate with their money? A couple of you, okay. What about this one? Who would trust their mate to decide what you're going to do 
for a job for the rest of your life. So imagine you're doing the HSC and it's kind of like you're doing your thing and you're hating it and you know, you're just trying to get through and you're like, I do not know what uni courses to apply for or what TAFE thing or whatever to do, what trade. I just can't choose. You've got to choose for me. Who would do that? Who would get someone else to do that? A couple of you, not many. Okay. What about this one? Who would trust someone else to choose who you date and eventually marry? Would you ever let someone make that decision for you? Now, it sounds bizarre, right? But seriously, listen up. In some places, people have arranged marriages. And guess who chooses who you get married in those cultures? Your parents choose. Who would let their parents choose who they marry one day? A couple people are taking it. That's good. All right. All right, bring it back in, bring it back in. I don't know about you guys, but for me, the person that I want making the big decisions in my life is kind of me. I want to be in charge of that stuff. I want to be in charge of what happens in my life. But here's the thing. Tonight, as we look at this passage together, my job is to convince all of us that the best way to live is actually to have someone else run your life. That's what I want to do tonight. Now, full disclosure, the person I'm talking about is Jesus. I want to convince us tonight, as we look at this passage, that the best person to run your life isn't you, it's Jesus. That's what this passage is about. Now, that's a really big call, isn't it? To hand over your whole life to someone else and say, well, you're in charge, not me anymore. That is a huge call. And I'm aware that as we come to that idea and come to this part of the Bible tonight, um, a whole bunch of you guys are going to be in different places. Some of you might already say that's true of you, that that's already where you're at. Other people like, I don't believe in Jesus. Other people, uh, you know he's there, but that's a scary thought. There's going to be a whole bunch of things going on in, in our hearts tonight. I want to pray, though, that God would reveal himself to us and help us to get this thing. So let's pray and then we'll look at it together. Oh, Father God, we pray that you would do a work among us by your word tonight. Father, we pray that your spirit would be changing our hearts to love you more, to see you more clearly, to see how good Jesus is. Father, I pray that tonight would be a huge night for a whole bunch of people here. I pray that their lives would never be the same because of the things they're about to hear in your word. But please take tonight and use it. Amen. All right, here's the big thing to see in this passage, and it's, it's pretty obvious, I've almost already said it. Here is the first huge thing you've got to see tonight. Following Jesus means giving up your life. Check it out, verse 24, it's the start of our passage there. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, be one of my people, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. He said a couple of things there. He said, you've got to deny yourself. That's actually say to yourself, I'm not at the centre. I'm not the most important one. I'm not in charge anymore. Deny yourself, the one who used to be in charge. And second, he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, what does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? I reckon some people would say to take up your cross means to do hard stuff, to sacrifice for Jesus. And I think that's a part of it. I think that's a part of what it means. But it is more than that. It actually means to die to yourself. Die to yourself. In Jesus' time, if you saw someone 
carrying a cross down the street, like walking with an actual physical crucifix on their back, what would that mean? What would it mean if you saw someone taking up their cross and walking with it? That would tell you that that person was on their way to their death. Carrying your cross is like carrying your own noose to the hangman's gallows where you're then going to get strung up and and executed. It's like walking down the corridor to the electric chair. That's what it means to take up your cross. It's walking to your death. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that literally, if you want to be a Christian, then you've got to go get yourself killed somehow. That's not the point. But he is saying that being a Christian doesn't just mean sacrifice, it actually means giving up your life, dying to yourself, dying to your own life, giving your life away to another, to Jesus. It's it's saying, Jesus, you're in charge now. That's what it means to become a Christian. Now, I'm sorry, I actually used this just the other night at church. I showed some of you my keys then, but I'm going to do it again. It's like it's taking the keys to your life, like the the thing that runs your whole life, and, and saying, Jesus, it's yours now. Take it. Take control. They're yours to have. This life is yours. Jesus, use it however you want to use it. And so, actually, what becomes the new reality for you is this, not what do I want in life, but what does Jesus want? Not my dreams and goals, and, but Jesus, what does Jesus want? Not what will make me most happy, what's going to make Jesus happy? Everything comes under His control. It all gets put at His feet to do with as He wishes. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if you've understood what's been said there, that can sound like a scary thought, can't it? It sounds scary. How do you feel about giving someone else complete control of your life? All of it. That's a scary thought. Unless unless the person that you're giving your life to is actually better at running your life than you are. And it's not so scary. Let, let me explain with a bit of an example. This, is, this takes a bit of imagination. But imagine for some reason gangsters come and kidnap you and they say that they're going to get you and they're threatening you unless you can drive down this road, this road, in one minute flat. They're like, we got you, we're in the mob and we've got a weird agenda, I don't know why we're doing what we're doing, but we're mobsters, we do what we want. And they're like, you have to drive down this freaky looking road in one minute flat. Um, Now, in this scenario, you need to pretend you've got your P's as well, so pretend you can drive as well. Uh, And and you have to use your car, okay? You've got to drive your car down this road. And your car is a piece of junk. It's like a beat up Hyundai Getz or something like that, right? It's an absolute piece of trash, but... It's your piece of trash, right? It's your piece of trash, Jacob. Um, And you know your car heaps well, right? You know that it's like one of the headlights is all busted. You know that when you're driving straight, it always pulls to the left, even when the wheel's in the middle. You know that the back right tyre is bald and that the, um, the windows don't work and that second gear doesn't exist or whatever. You know all the ins and outs of your car. Now tell me, don't answer out loud, but who would you rather drive you down that road? A, would you rather drive down the road yourself in your car that you know so well or b would you rather get in the passenger seat and have some stranger drive you down the road i reckon now a lot of you like well i can't drive so i'd choose (laughs) choose a stranger but no imagine you're a good driver right i reckon most of us would say i want to drive myself down that road it's my car i know it well i know what i'm doing 
I reckon most of us would choose ourselves. But here's the thing, what if the other person who could drive you down the road, if you want to jump in the passenger seat, was this guy, Sebastian Ungier, who I didn't know this, I had to look it up, but he's the world's best rally driver, all right? This guy is the best of the best, best at driving down crazy road. At that point, if he's the stranger driving me down this road, he can have the keys, I'm going to take the passenger seat, thank you very much, take me down the road in my crazy gets. Here's the point. Um, It might feel like there's no one better qualified to run your whole life than you. It's your life, right? You know what you're doing, it feels like you should, more than anyone else, know what you're doing and how to run your own life. If you think there's no one better qualified to run your life than you, that's because you don't understand who Jesus is. You don't understand just how qualified He is to run your whole life. Guys, Jesus is God. He's infinitely powerful. He knows all things. He, he knows everything that's going to happen before it even happens. He creates history. He's the God of the universe and He knows what's best for you. And He loves you. He loves you. If you're ever, dempt, if you're ever tempted to doubt that Jesus loves you, just remember this, He loves you so much that He died for you. Some of you guys saw this last week, but some of you didn't get there. Verse 21, have a look there. This is what we saw. This is how much Jesus loves you. This is why He came. Verse 21 of this chapter. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The reason that Jesus came, the reason that the King came into the world was to suffer and to die for you, to die in your place. Jesus went to the cross and He suffered to save you from an eternal hell. That's what His death achieved. If your trust is in Him, if you'll have Him as your King, He saves you. He died in your place. That's why He came. I was messaging Geordie this afternoon, talking about how it's going, and he, he was saying that it's been a terrible week, uh, but in the middle of all that's going on for him, here's what he wanted you guys to know. He was saying that Jesus' death is really good news. It really is. People need to hear it. Remind them of that tonight. The Gospel is really good news. Jesus' love for you is endless. It's unquestionable. He's shown it so clearly in the cross. It's so, so good. And so when you hear, when that Jesus comes to you and says, hey, hand over the keys to your whole life, I want it all, when that Jesus comes to you, you know that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He's not going to lead you anywhere that isn't worth going there. It, It might be really hard, there might be suffering, there will, there will be suffering, there will be sacrifice, but it will be worth it because there's no one better to have run your life. He's better at running your life than you are. That's who Jesus is. And so, what's it going to mean for you, if you're a Christian, what's it going to mean for you to take up your cross and follow Him? 
I reckon at least, the, at very least, the place to start is how you think about your life. So taking up your cross means taking every part of your life, your dreams, your goals, your, your desires, your interests, and just taking everything about what you're on about and going, this is me, but I'm just going to put it down. <laughs> you lay it down and you say, Jesus, all of it's up for grabs. I, th- that's, that's my old life, it's not mine anymore, it's yours, it's all up for grabs, it's all there for you. And then once you've gotten to the point of being willing to lay it all down, laying it all down, then asking the question, well, what of this would Jesus have me pick back up again? Because He's not into giving you a terrible life, there's lots to enjoy, but the question is, what would Jesus have me pick back up again? It's all, I'm holding all of it with a loose hand, you tell me what to do, Jesus. So, example, who would you maybe date or or eventually one day marry? Well, you're not going to date someone and marry someone who doesn't know Jesus. You wouldn't do that. In fact, you would only go out with someone if you knew that they were going to actively encourage you to follow Jesus and keep following Him. That's the kind of person you'd go out with. Uh, And so, that might even mean for you saying no to someone who you really like. They're awesome and you're in love with them, but then, then they don't love Jesus. Taking up your cross would mean saying no to that person. If they're going to drag you away from Jesus, leave it behind. Jesus is in charge now. What about sport? Bit of a strange example. What about sport? It could be that you might use sport, if you're a Christian, to glorify God, the way you play with honesty and integrity, you're a good teammate. Um, that's, a, that's a great way to honour God. You might meet people there, tell them about Jesus, that's all good. But what if your sport started to get in the way of following Jesus? What if the commitment of it all and your training and all that kind of stuff, the schedule of it all, uh, meant that you had no time to read your Bible, to get together with God's people, to serve Jesus and His people? What would taking up your cross mean then? Well, it might mean giving it up. When I was in year eight, when I was in year eight, I had to choose between um, keeping on playing basketball or Jesus. There's a whole bunch of contextual reasons why I had to do that decision. Uh, But I'm really glad I chose Jesus. Now, years later, I was able to pick up basketball again because context changed. But at the time, I had to choose. It was that or don't get to... If I stayed playing basketball, I wasn't going to be with God's people. I wasn't going to be able to go to youth group and church choose Jesus, choose Jesus. What about a job? I mean, like your job right now, Maccas or whatever, what if your job was going to get in the way of following Jesus? What do you do? What if you had to choose between coming to youth or taking another shift on a Friday night? What would it mean then to take up your cross and follow Jesus? I reckon you can work it out. What about where you'll live one day in the future? This is hypothetical, right? But what if in the future it became clear that there was an amazing opportunity for you to serve Jesus somewhere, but that place happened to be on the other side of the world? What if you were convinced that the best place you could serve Jesus wasn't here on the coast, but somewhere else? Uh, And so, uh, in a place where your friends and your family and all the comforts you have here isn't, it's over there, not here. Would you go if you knew that's where Jesus would have you go. 
Would you stay if you knew that Jesus would have you stay? You can ask the question both ways. Have you handed the keys of your life to Jesus, all of it, and said, it's yours? Jesus, I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'll live where you want me to live. Just have it all. I'm yours to use. Have you got to that point? Have you done that? That's a huge question, isn't it? That's a pretty big place to to find yourself. It's not easy. Uh, But there's one last thing I want us to look at in this passage tonight, and here it is. It's totally worth it. It's so completely worth it. Have a look at verse 25. Right after saying you to take up your cross and follow me, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Who wants to save their life? Well, they'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they'll find it. <laughs> Jesus is saying that doing the very thing that we're scared of doing, we are scared of it, aren't we? Of, of losing our lives, giving up our lives to Him. It's scary. But in doing the thing that we're afraid of, we actually find the thing that saves our life. It seems kind of crazy backwards, but that's how it is. Jesus says when you do that, that's when you'll save your life. And the opposite is true as well. If you cling to your life, if you refuse to hand your life over to Jesus and instead shut Him out and say, no, I'm in charge of my life, not you, and and refuse to give it over, well, Jesus says, you'll lose your life. Now, what does He mean when He says you'll find your life or you'll lose your life? What's He talking about there? He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about your soul. Have a look at verse 26. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, have everything you could ever want in this world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What's at stake is your eternal destiny, where you'll spend eternity. That's what we're talking about, your soul. So if that's true, seriously, what, what is there in this world that is worth more than your soul? Your eternal existence in either heaven, heaven or hell, can you think of one thing on the face of this earth that matters as much of that, as that? I, I, I honestly can't. What, what job, what girl or guy or sport or friend or sin, no matter how tempting it is, what thing could possibly be worth your soul? Nothing. Nothing is worth your soul. And so Jesus says, lay your life down. Give it over. (laughs) Not what I want, but what Jesus wants. I'll go where you'll have me go. I'll live where you'll have me live. This life isn't mine anymore. And remember that as you do that, There's no one better to have running your life. You can trust Him. He died so that you can be forgiven, so that you can go to heaven and spend eternity with Him. You can trust Him, you know that He's good, you know that He loves you. And so give Him your whole life. Now, what does it mean if you're someone who's always thought of yourself as a Christian, you would have always said you're a Christian, but you may never have come to this point of giving your whole life to Jesus. You, yeah, I'm a Christian, I've always you know, believed in Jesus, but you've never handed control of your life over to Jesus. What, what do you reckon that means? I reckon it probably means 
at least one or two things. It's possible that although you've always thought you're a Christian, you may never have understood what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. If you haven't understood that, perhaps that's the case. And if that's you, become a Christian tonight. Hand your life over to Jesus, give it all to Him. You know that He died to save you, you know that, you know that He's your King and so become a Christian. That's one place you could be. It could be though that you may be a Christian still, uh, but maybe you're a bit struggling, you're struggling, you're confused with some stuff. Uh, it could be that tonight for the first time, a central part of what it means to be a Christian has finally clicked for you. Uh, but you might have been a Christian beforehand. But for you, I don't want you to go, all right, I need to become a Christian all over again. You, you might be a Christian and you've just worked out something huge about who Jesus is. But if that is you tonight, you're a Christian, but you've never understood the central place that Jesus needs to have in your life. If that's you tonight, I want you to grab the keys to your life, metaphorically, and hand them over to Jesus. Give Him your whole life. Make a commitment tonight that He'll be the one in charge from now on. I'm going to lead us in a, in a prayer in a moment, actually. And sometimes when we do this, we, we say we're going to give people an opportunity to become a Christian. This is a bit different to that tonight. It's a little bit of a different sort of thing. Uh, instead, I want to lead us in a prayer of handing over our whole lives to Jesus. I'm going to pray about that. And for some of you, you might pray that prayer and it, that might mean that's you becoming a Christian. So, you might make that a prayer to become a Christian. Uh, but for others here tonight, you know that you're a Christian, you know who Jesus is, you know that He's your Saviour, you know that He's the King, um, but perhaps you've been holding something back from Him, holding out on Him. Maybe there is sin in your life that you've just kind of, you haven't even wanted to admit is there, you've been holding on to it, tricking yourself that it's not a problem, stuff that you've been holding on to. Maybe there's stuff in your life that isn't sin, you wouldn't look at the Bible and see this thing that says, don't do this thing, uh, but it's stuff that you've let slide into the centre of your life, instead of having Jesus there. could be a good thing, but it's, but it's not God and you put it in the place of God. Uh, and so whether for you this is becoming a Christian or simply recognising that Jesus needs to run your whole life from now on, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you want to pray this prayer, then do that in your head, do it in your heart, um, and then we're going to sing. Oh, Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for my sin. Jesus, thank you that you have, you've bought my life with your blood. And so please... Lord, take my life and use it as you would. Take the sin that I've been holding on to and help me to kill it. Take my desires, my priorities, my plans, my dreams. Help me to lay it all down. Instead, Lord, show me how you would have me live. Help me to follow you. To your glory. Amen.